Welcome back uh, to Talk for Freedom. This is Cesar Lopez with the A21 Freedom Chasers. Uh, we've got Chuck Paul with us as well, and uh, we are interviewing a great organization here in town called CASA, and we're going to learn a little bit about what they're doing here in town to uh, affect human trafficking or uh, any victims of human trafficking as well. Uh, once again, I appreciate your uh, listening in. Leave us a comment, rate us, ask a question. Visit us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter um, at A21 Freedom Chasers or Chuck Paul LLC. So we're going to get it started. Chuck, you want to kick us off? Sure. Thank you, Caesar. So I have the honor today of being able to talk with uh, Leticia and Samantha from CASA. And CASA is an organization here in San Antonio which helps youth that are in foster care. So Leticia, can you tell us a little bit about CASA? Sure. So um, CASA is a nonprofit here in San Antonio. Um, we actually work with uh, youth who have been removed from their home due to abuse and neglect. Um, here in Bear County, you know, last year alone we had 5,865 confirmed victims of abuse and neglect. Um, and one of the things that our organization does is able to provide a volunteer that can provide constancy for these children while they're going through one of the most difficult times in their lives. And, and that is so very, very important. But first off, what I'm hearing CASA, I mean, I know it's a Spanish word for home, which is very appropriate. But CASA actually means something. Those words, those, those letters, C-A-S-A, actually mean something. Can you yeah, tell so CASA is a, an acronym, and we, uh, you'll hear us being referred to as court-appointed special advocates. Here in San Antonio, we're very fortunate that we can put those same letters together, and we're still child advocates San Antonio. So we're still CASA uh, either way. But yeah, we are court-appointed uh, volunteers that work with these children. And, and that is that is fabulous. It's awesome. So for folks that aren't aware of how family court operates, I've been in the family court cases several times. And, and in that room, you've got the judge and you've got his clerk and you've also got the two bailiffs, but you've also got three benches, not just two benches. So you have a bench for the parents' attorney and the parents. You have a bench for the state and their attorneys. And then there's a third bench. And that third bench is the one that actually does most of the talking. And that bench is actually the guardian child ad litem. This is the attorney for the child. And then there's CASA. And I can't tell you how often our judges here will go, CASA, what do you think? Or CASA, what's actually going on with the case? Because they rely on CASA more so than those other professionals in the room. Right, right. Um, we actually have a great relationship with both of the judges that oversee these particular cases in uh, children's court. Uh, Judge Garcia and Judge Montemayor are incredible, and they've been just influential in making sure that our advocates truly give these children a voice in the court system. And that's our overall goal. Um, a lot of the times we have these children that enter foster care. They're afraid, they're alone, they're not really sure what is happening or why it's happening. They've been so normalized to the situation that um, once they enter foster care system, uh, the foster care system, um, sometimes they are separated from the siblings. And so CASA, the CASA volunteer is actually an individual that is able to provide not just constancy, but they're able to provide um, an objective representation of what is happening with everyone in the case, to include the parents. So our overall goal is that while these children are in foster care, they don't feel lost. They don't feel like they're just another number in the system. Um, and we wanna make sure that we're able to provide a volunteer to these children through one of the most difficult times that they will go through. And, and someone who works with children on a daily basis, children in foster care, children who have experienced this or are experiencing this, I can tell you that 
often the first person they ask to talk to when they're having a crisis at a placement or a foster home is they're saying, I want to talk to my advocate. They don't say caseworker. They don't say attorney. They say, I want to talk to my advocate. And tell me why that's so important. That is so crucial because these children, we already know that they've experienced so much trauma. They're a lot more susceptible to being uh, part of the human trafficking culture. And so when they do have an advocate, when they do have someone that they can count on, that they say, you know, they're on my side, they're more likely to go to that individual than go down a different path. Um, For our children um, that we are able to advocate for, um, we know that not just us, but they also know that they have a voice. They can tell their CASA volunteer what is happening. They can tell their caseworker sometimes, but it just might not make as much of an impact uh, for them sometimes because caseworkers do have more than one case. Our CASA volunteers are appointed to just one case, one family unit per se. Um, So this really helps these children to say, hey, I have a voice, I have someone that's there and they actually care for me. And that's so very important that they have a voice because we also know on the other side what happens when we don't have a CASA volunteer there. And I've seen children time and time again that felt like they had no voice, no way to speak out and say, this is who I am, this is what I want. And what do they do? They run away. Exactly. And oftentimes they run away to um, circumstances that might put them on their road to human trafficking. And so one of the things, and I have had the, uh, I've had to experience this in one of my cases as well with my volunteers is it does happen um, sometimes where they are placed in these situations and the first person that they'll call is their advocate once they've come to realize like, wow, this is not where I want to be. These are not the choices that I was, uh, you know, that I wanted to make. And so the first person they often call is their CASA volunteer. Um, I've had the pleasure to work with you, Chuck, uh, back when you were in special investigations. Um, and we've, we've worked and collaborated where, you know, we had a teen out of Seguin um, we were able to catch them um, once we got that information to Child Protective Services um, so those investigators could go out there and actually um, get retrieve that child before you know things got worse. And so that is where we come in because they have that relationship with that volunteer. Um, they are a lot more, uh, they're, they're able to really say someone cares. And I think that's what's really important is that they don't feel lost because what's going to lead up to them having that feeling is going to the perpetrators or to the, you know, what we call the Johns or the pimps or whatnot. Um, that it just, it's not where we want our kids. We know that they're a lot more susceptible because of what they've experienced. And so they're truly looking for that belonging. They're looking to see who is going to accept me the way that I am, um, especially after they've been victims of sexual abuse, they've been victims of just so many other things that um, that comes with it. And, and that is so critical, that relationship there, because I can tell you, like you mentioned, back when I worked for the state as a special investigator, I can tell folks, one of the first persons I would call after I got a report of a child who had run away from foster care is I would call their CASA advocate. And I would say, hey, have you heard from, and, Nine times out of 10, they'd already heard from the child. The child's already texted them. They had a general idea who they were hanging out with or where they were at. And that gave me that lead I needed to follow up on getting that child back. And I can tell you that there were many times when I would call the CASA advocate and say, hey, I think I'm in the area where the child's at. Have you heard from them? And where I've had the advocate actually say, yeah, they know you're there, they've called me. 
That's incredible. And and that kind of speaks speaks volumes to the work with the collaboration that we have to do with other entities, the collaboration between um, not just the investigators, but the other community partners as well, and making sure that we're all working towards that one goal is to make sure that these kids are safe and that um, they do have someone on their side as well. So, Leticia, can you tell us what your title is there at CASA? Sure. My title is uh, Director of Recruitment and Training. And so I've been at CASA for about five years and um, kind of really started as a volunteer. So had my uh, had my cases as a volunteer, went at, uh, through as an advocate supervisor, then moved on over to our recruitment and training department. So if someone listening today is saying, you know, I, that hits a core of me. I really think I could do that. How do they get started? Their first... Um, the first thing is to realize is that this is not just your typical volunteer opportunity. Um, this is a volunteer opportunity that we do ask for a 12-month commitment. Um, again, because of the constancy that we want to provide for these children, we know that these kids have had so many individuals in and out of their life, uh, multiple caseworkers sometimes, multiple placements, uh, multiple relationships that have been broken. And so we want to be able to provide that one individual that is going to be in a position in their life that can provide that time. Um, on average, it's about 15 to 20 hours per month with a one-year commitment. Um, we do ask that they be 21 years of age and older because these are ongoing legal cases through the Department of Family and Protective Services. Um, so someone that can really go through that. Um, we also ask that they take uh, a training, which we train them free of cost. But really the first um, step towards that is for them to fill out an application on our website, and then we'll contact them within 24 to 48 hours to go ahead and go through the next screening process and set them up for an interview with a staff member. And what is that website? www.casa-satx.org. Casa.satx.org. Oh, got the dash. Casa-satx.org. See, that dash is important. Yes, it is. <laughs> so let's say I have someone that's saying, hmm, I don't know if I can give like that kind of commitment. And they're, they're looking at it. Where would, could, Do they have more information on your website where they can read about what CASA's done? Maybe hear about some stories, maybe really see to I'm trying to understand if they want to be involved for a one-year commitment? Absolutely. Um, they can visit our website to learn a little bit more about the actual impacts that our volunteers have made. Um, they can actually uh, also speak to one of our representatives in the recruitment and training department, and they can give you a rundown of what it takes to be that volunteer. Um, we know that Right now, currently, we're not serving every single case that comes through the Bear County court system with a CASA advocate, not because we don't want to, but because unfortunately, we just don't have enough volunteers. Um, and we can't do that. We can't do the work that we do without our community. Um, and it really does take someone listening to us to say, hey, you know what, enough is enough. Um, we need to do something. We need to make a change. Um, and this is one of the first steps to getting there, is making sure that we prevent that um, or that these children have someone there that they know that they can fall back on as well. Because the opposite of a child that's being trafficked is a child who's protected and connected. I've said that often. Absolutely. The more connections, the more positive connections and protective connections that a child has, the less likely they're going to be exploited. What traffickers do on purpose is deliberately separate that child from all other connections in their life. Fostering children is so much easier because they've already had those separations done to them. They've lost mom, they've lost dad, they've maybe lost their family, they've lost their siblings in many cases. It's not uncommon for them within the first three months to have three different caseworkers. 
they may have this attorney ad litem that they may see once or twice a, in a year. So now they feel as though, and they bounce between maybe four different placements by this point, by six months. And now if they feel as though that they're disconnected from everyone, makes it so much easier for that trafficker because they don't have to work hard to disconnect them. But when they have a CASA volunteer, that can actually prevent them from being exploited. Absolutely. Our CASA volunteers um, do have that relationship with that child. And like you mentioned, they're able to see when that child starts behaving differently, when different um, relationships or friendships are built with these children. And so thus bringing up red flags, like who are these people? Um, asking the kinds of questions that any other parent out there listening would ask of their own child. Um, someone that is involved with that child is able to notice, um, especially if you know things are different with that child, their uh, dress, their behavior, their mannerisms, anything like that that could trigger why is that child behaving that way? Um, and so it's really important that our, our children in foster care, because at the end of the day, it becomes um, not just our, our problem, it becomes a community issue um, when these children enter the foster care system and we see these numbers uh, you know, increase so much. And I just heard some exciting news today. Y'all got a new location? We do. We'll be moving from our um, historical 406 San Pedro location um, out to towards WW White, um, which is a great thing because that uh, means that we actually are able to meet the needs of the children a little bit better. Our current facility we had uh, we have outgrown it, and so this new facility will be able to bring in additional trainers. We'll be able to have larger classes, um, and we will have our very first uh, vol new volunteer training class in October. And so we're very, very excited about that. Um, we will no longer have to be crammed into one small building that we, you know, kind of outgrew. And, and folks, I've been to that building several <laughs> times to give training, and, and it is small. Um, it's very small for what for what the big, big job that CASA has going on. And so it's so very important that as you're hearing this, if you're saying, you know what, CASA sounds like something I would be interested in. Get on that website, casa-satx, means, I'm sorry, casa-satx.org, and get on that website, take a look at that application, take a look at what they do, but for a lot more on that, Samantha, you wanna tell us what your title is? Sure, uh, my title is PMC Crossover Advocate Supervisor. So long title short, um, I work with youth in long-term care, um, try to make sure that we're assigning these types of cases to advocates who are available to do these types of cases, a good match for them. So how, tell me what goes through the process of matching a volunteer with a foster youth. Absolutely, um, but I'm gonna bring it specifically to our trafficked youth if that's okay. Um, so when we get our referrals and things in and I notice that, you know, a youth has a high risk of being trafficked, a youth ha is being trafficked or has been trafficked, um, I do try to go around um, to all of our advocates and see if anyone has any experience in this or anybody is willing to learn how to work with the youth in this type of situation. Um, so thank you for coming to our building to train some of us on that because I'm really getting excited about um, trying to, you know, make sure that our volunteers realize, you know, working with this youth, it's not as scary as it seems. Like they just need that supportive, authentic, sustainable relationship. And like you said, protected is connected or connected is protected or. Okay. The more connected they are, the more protected they the are. The more connected they are, the more protected they are. Uh, so with that, um, just forming that relationship with the child and making sure that they don't fall back into that, um, monitor the situation or even prevent those things that are happening. Um, we do have a few youth right now who have been confirmed traffic victims um, that are working right now with Restore Court from Judge Lisa Jarrett, who's running that. 
Um, we also have children that have come into care specifically because um, they were trafficked. We have a young lady who came down from Las Vegas. Uh, someone at the airport noticed, you know, she's unaccompanied. She's wearing clothing and makeup that are a little too old for her. She's about 14. Um, so their own training, they're able to recognize the signs of human trafficking and uh, alert the system, uh, CPS alert Child Protective Services as to what's going on so that we can make sure that she's well taken care of and that we have someone at CASA that's able to make sure that she doesn't fall through those cracks again. And that's so important that they have someone that they can talk to. I mean, like you just said, this young lady came from another state. She doesn't know anyone here. She was on a layover over here, so she knew nobody. Doesn't know anyone here. Right. And so, you know, she, like what we talked about before, she might have multiple caseworkers in that first mm -hmm. few months. Absolutely. Um, she doesn't know where she's going to go or what's happening. So having someone that she can talk to mm -hmm. is, is really important. And I know that you come from that realm. You come from that realm of being an advocate. So from firsthand as being an advocate, can you tell me a little bit about working with these kids that are in permanent managing conservatorship? And that's a kid that their parents or the parents' rights have been terminated. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Right, so after judge decides at trial that uh, the parents' rights will be terminated, they are now in long-term foster care. Uh, they're only going to be followed by their attorney ad litems and caseworkers, which again change when they come into long-term foster care. Uh, some of our advocates prefer to stay on while our children come into long-term care because these children do have no no connections at all, no parents. We haven't been able to find a permanent home for them at that point after the 12-month mark has been met. So these children can sit in long-term care for 10, 15 years, depending on how long uh, ago like they were in trial, you know. And I, I know how important that is because for folks that are out there, it, just to put this into place, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about maybe a child that was five or six years old and there was a drug raid on their house and they were taken into foster care because there's a drug raid on their house. Now, if, if there's enough narcotics there, their parents are going to jail for federal time, which may be anywhere from 20 years on up. So they're obviously not going to be able to raise this child. So the parents, that's it. Most of these families have a lot of bad connections with their relatives, so it may be very difficult to find a relative to take this child. So you have a five or six year old that now is looking at, I have to be adoptable. But you know, with the fact that they were in a drug environment, they may come with some behaviors due to the exposure to the traumas that happen in a drug environment. They've seen a lot of violence, they've seen a lot of uh, sex acts, they've seen a lot of different things that happen in drug environments. They may have even been exposed to the drugs themselves. I've had cases where, you know, cocaine was on the table being packaged and babies have actually gotten overdose from being on the floor where the cocaine was falling. I've had cases where children who were living in a meth lab with their parents have been exposed to just the chemicals in the air and showed a positive for methamphetamines. Yes, I had a child that was two years old with that similar story. <laughs> so we have those environments. So these children come with behaviors. So now maybe it's very hard to get them adopted because most parents want a baby. They don't want a five or six year old that is coming down off of drugs. Mm -hmm. um, it's the reality of it. So then this child is looking at years in foster care. They're looking at, if they're six years old, they're looking at 12 years in foster care. Absolutely. And so the message the system has given them is, okay, you're now in long-term care. So we're trying to find someone, no one wants to adopt you. Your mommy and daddy don't want you. Your relatives can't be found. And now a trafficker comes along when this child's 12. Mm -hmm. And shows them love and shows them some positive relationships. Of course, we all know about the psychological manipulation. And because of the trauma our children have gone through, 
especially in long-term foster care, uh, they're with children who have been exposed to more or less than they have been. So if you get all those kids together, there's a lot of learned behaviors that come from being in foster care as well, um, which makes you, as you want to say, less adoptable. Um, so someone coming in and saying, you know, I love you, I'm your boyfriend, I'm, you know, 21, 22 years old, I can make things better for you, we can go away from this foster care system, uh, that I, I can see them jumping on that opportunity. Who wouldn't want that? And they, they, they're looking for love. Exactly. And, and this person may be a monster and they may have signs that this person's a monster, but when we are, all of us, any one of us is given the choice to be loved by no one or loved by the monster, we'll choose the monster every time. Absolutely. I think that's often what we see as well um, when those children do have a CASA volunteer that is interested in how was school today. You know what, um, even I always tell this to everyone, um, what we don't think about is the trauma that these kids have gone through so much that birthdays become so significant to them. Um, the kids in on our cases, uh, children in foster care um, that have been have gone through trauma, birthdays become a big deal because after everything has been taken away from them, after they've lost their parents, after they've lost their siblings, their favorite toy, their home, their community, their their teachers, their friends at school, the one thing that they that no one can take away is their birthday. And so that becomes a significant uh, thing for them. So when our volunteers are even able to be there and say, hey, happy birthday, or hey, you know what, let's celebrate your birthday, let's go out for, you know, cupcake or something that is so crucial that is such a stepping stone to that trust that these children really need to start building because a lot of the times they don't trust anyone and that's the thing um, when they can't trust anyone and they feel that this person is the only one that can you know help me get out of this which I'm talking about the traffickers it's very difficult to build that trust once these individuals have built that trust with that child Right, because they groom this child and they've convinced this child no one loves them, no one wants them. And if they've come from a system where, not the system's not bad, but they've come from a situation where first their immediate trauma, why they ended up in the system is affecting them. And then with the things that happen along the way, now this child may be getting a message that no one wants them. Well, absolutely. I've seen plenty of cases, you know, where mom herself is even being trafficked. So it's kind of like a normalcy thing for them, for these children in care. Um, a quote from one of our foster children recently that's been trafficked is, my mom taught me how rich men like young women to look. So, I mean, just the mom grooming the child and probably inadvertently just because she has trafficked herself. However, it just becomes a normal thing for them. And I think you bring up a really good point, Samantha, is the generational cycle of abuse and neglect. Um, we often see that, and you kind of pointed a little bit to that, Chuck, as well. When we're looking for a family to potentially place these children with, um, and the, the entire family is involved in things like this, it's very difficult for us to be able to um, say this is a safe home for these children that will lead up to permanency. Because at the end of the day, that is what our advocates want for these children a safe home, a permanent home, and for us to be able to place this child there as soon as possible. But when we have a family that has so much history, sometimes it's a very difficult 
um, to find a potential placement for these children. So advocates are so crucial in making sure that we can identify not just family, but individuals that could potentially be and lead to permanency for these children. Maybe a teacher um, that has you know gotten some interest in really helping uh, this child and what's in their best interest. Maybe a neighbor, maybe someone that this child has built a relationship, um, which kind of speaks to our new programs that we're really looking and targeting is how can we build these individuals up for success so that once uh, they do age out of the system, they have a support system that they can go to. And it's not so much seeking outside of that, uh, potentially going down those wrong roads. So how can a family that wants to become a permanent home and they want to help in that way, how, how do they do that? Um, if any family, if any family or relative identifies that potentially one of their nieces, nephews, grandchildren is in care, um, reaching out to the state and saying, I want to be considered for placement, I want to be considered for permanency for these children. Um, but not just that, even if it's something that they can't initially do and host this child at home with them, they could still remain that connection for that child, which again goes back to being connected to individuals that love these children, that will look out for the best interest of them. Um, so really anyone can request a CASA volunteer, whether it's the child through their own attorney, whether it's mom or dad through their attorney, their caseworker could even request that. Um, and then the judge will, will let us know and we'll get someone appointed to that. Um, they do consider those cases on a priority one, priority two level. Um, and Sam kind of plays in a little bit to that when we are looking at um, how soon do we need an advocate on these cases. I will tell you that whenever there is any sign of human trafficking or anything like that, we do want to make sure that we have someone there. Oh, absolutely. We've definitely um, realized that this is a huge problem in Bear County, uh, all over the state of Texas, all over the United States. Uh, but getting these advocates that can really deal with the situation, be that a sustainable connection for this child, uh, and recognize any signs that our children may be falling through the cracks into human trafficking. Uh, I do like to make sure that our human trafficking victims do receive a, an appropriate advocate, one that you know has the training or one that has you know the know-how, the want to help a child that has been experiencing human trafficking or is at high risk for high for trafficking. Yeah, and I think one of the things to also notice is that. Um, individuals out there listening to us don't necessarily have to have all that experience coming into our volunteer organization. We provide that training free of cost. Um, how to become an advocate, but even once they do become an advocate, specialized training um, in regards to different topics, human trafficking being one of them. Um, if these children have any sort of special needs, we go ahead and bring uh, instructors in to help with that. But we really want to be able to that prepare those out volunteers to work these cases successfully. So they don't, it's kind of one of those no experience necessary. We will provide you with everything that you need. Um, but other than that, I mean, really their passion, their passion to want to be make a difference, their commitment to say, hey, enough is enough and I'm ready to go ahead and take that step forward and make a difference in my community. Because what we don't realize is that a lot of these children, whether they're victims of human trafficking or whether they're victims of just child abuse and neglect, um, these are the children that are in our backyards, in our churches, in our schools. They go to school with our own kids. And if you've ever had to have that conversation with your with your child or children regarding maybe one of their friends being removed because of for their safety, or you know, having to have that hard conversation about maybe why one of their friends is no longer here and deceased or, or whatnot, that's a difficult conversation to have with a child and trying to get them to put it in a perspective where they would understand. Um, because at the end of the day, 
all of our children that we work with in foster care, the children that are part of human trafficking, they are very closely related in, in the schools, churches, and whatnot with our children. I think one of the questions that we always get asked um, is, how can I help? How can, because when someone hears about human trafficking and how big it is and how it's affecting our community, um, they, they just they just want to help, right? And so I think one of the things that I, I, I take away from uh, this interview is that there's so many ways that you're atta- that we're attacking human trafficking, and this is one way as well through, you know, kids who have been through the foster system. Um, and sometimes maybe before you listen to this interview, you had no idea that a foster kid is more susceptible to fall into, you know, trafficking. And that's the truth; they are because they've been through so much, um, and they keep going in and out of homes, and they have so much abuse and trauma. Um, but I, I commend you guys for the work that you're doing. Um, you. And you know, there are many ways uh, to our listeners that you can help. Um, not just being plugged into organizations like the Freedom Chasers or Santo Seguro, but Casa is another way. Uh, it takes a huge commitment, but I know there are people out there that want to help. I know there are people out there that that um, are passionate about, you know, helping our youth, um, and so which are our most vulnerable, uh, you know, right now out there. And so I commend you guys. I appreciate you guys coming in and talking to us a little bit about your organization. Any last thoughts um, that you want for our listeners? Are there any major events that you guys are having? Are there any um, you know, donations that you need, uh, anything that you feel our listeners need to know that can help you. Absolutely. Um, our volunteers and really our audience out there can, uh, what I would like for them to know is that if they just can't volunteer at this time, because this might not be the best time for them, know that I wish I could say, you know, child abuse is going to end today, tomorrow, 10 years, 15 years from now. But our statistics and our research has shown that it's just increasing. Um, human trafficking is increasing. So if they can't necessarily volunteer right now, um, they can always visit our website. They can make a monetary donation to our agency. Um, they can go ahead and just really connect with us so that when the time is right, we can go ahead and let them know when the upcoming classes are coming up. Uh, because we have individuals that have said, hey, I waited five years to do this. I waited 10 years to do this because they know the level of commitment and they respect that the child does need that one constant person there to help them out. Samantha, any last thoughts? Oh, I just want to say uh, anyone out there interested in working with long-term uh, foster care youth and you know helping to avoid this trafficking issue that we have specifically with our foster care youth, which is larger than we would like, um, I would I would very much uh, recommend CASA for them. And I can tell you that uh, you know working with these detectives, working with police officers, they have become very involved in these cases. Mm-hmm. And now I've noticed, in particular at the last training we were at, there was sitting a detective who's recently retired. Absolutely. And, and he's retired, he could go fishing, but but he's been affected. He's seen what happens, and he's decided to come in and become a CASA volunteer. And I've often told folks that have asked me how I can help. I'm like, well, you can you know volunteer with these different organizations. You can donate. There's always in-kind donations. There's those donations, monetary donations. But I have often said, if you're really brave, CASA is where you're going to go because they're going to be working directly with these youth day to day. And I'll put a warning out there for folks. When you're working with a young person, you become invested in their life. They become a part of your family, an extension of your family. Yeah, I cannot tell you how many times I've had advocates say, I, I can't work with the youth. You know, I don't, I can't deal with attitudes and whatnot. And they've been the best friend to that youth, you know, for years. They've worked with them three, four years. Yeah. And I think one thing is to also remember is that just because they've had um, individuals 
potentially considering volunteering, just because they've had some sort of history themselves, that does not exclude them from volunteering with us. Um, sometimes they do make some of the best advocates that we have because they've been in those shoes. They understand where this child is coming from. Uh, but you're right, making sure that these children do have someone, um, it, it's, it is something different. It is a different volunteer opportunity. Um, but because we are court appointed, we're able to really talk to everyone involved, um, bring in that information about what is happening with that child right then and there. And if we notice anything going on with our children, of course, making those recommendations to the court that they receive any and all services they need um, specific to human trafficking. Well, this is great. A lot of great information shared and uh, our audience, once again, there's just another way that you can uh, help um, our most vulnerable, our youth in, in San Antonio and, and around. Um, and so if you know uh, anyone that maybe is interested in helping, um, direct them to casa-satx.org um, to go sign up, read up on all the other information, other ways to help and partner with them. Um, once again, Samantha and um, I forgot your name, I'm so sorry. Leticia. Leticia. Um, thank you for coming, um, spending some time with us and Chuck and uh, just sharing uh, what you guys are doing. And uh, to our listeners, leave us a comment, leave us questions. If you have questions for CASA, leave us a question. We'll make sure that we come back and talk to them as well about that. Um, and have a great evening. Rate us. We appreciate you.